You know, it's not just about the food you eat or just about the things you drink. It's a lot about where you are in your heart and who you're with on your journey. So find your people, find your place, and then live your best life. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Bill Capsalis, Executive Director at Naturally Boulder. Naturally Boulder is a community for the natural product industry in Colorado and provides a place for entrepreneurs, investors, brands, retailers, and industry experts to make Colorado the best place to launch and scale a natural products company. Bill most recently served as CEO at Haystack Mountain Goat Dairy and uses his experience to help natural food entrepreneurs thrive. Hi, Bill. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Hey, good morning, Emily. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me. We're so excited. This is going to be a really fun one. I am excited to get into this. I know we've spoken previously, but we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive today. Sure. How are you feeling first and foremost on this smoky Tuesday <laughs> in Colorado? Well, I don't like to think of myself as in an unhealthy, you know, group, but man, it's nasty out there. I know. I went like for it. I went for a run this morning and almost collapsed after about two miles. <laughs> and you're in the healthy category. For I know, sure. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I, I feel good this morning. Thank you. Good. So speaking of health, we're going to talk a lot about health today because that is very much your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, been in Boulder 36 years and it seeped into my bones once I got here and uh, live a healthy lifestyle. I can't help it. I am really excited to learn more. So kind of walk me through a little bit of your background for us to get started. So are you originally from Colorado? You said you've been here for 36 years, so probably not. No, no. I uh, was born and raised in the Detroit area. So I grew up in the Midwest, uh, spent a few years on the East Coast, and then landed here in Colorado in 1984. 83. I can't do the math in my head. And since then, you know, been actively involved in the Boulder community in a number of ways. First half of my career was kind of in uh, tech retail. I was with Kinko's as a VP of marketing for 12 years. Then I kind of found myself in a healthy lifestyle environment at Gaim, where I became an expert on lifestyle of health and sustainability, which then spun me into food and beverage. And uh, ever since then, you know, been, been engaged in the natural organic space here in Boulder and beyond nationally. So yeah, and, uh, you know, lead a healthy, active lifestyle. I've been a vegan for about 15 years, you know, just uh, get outside whenever I can, as long as it's not too smoky, you know, try to stay fit as best I can stay healthy. I think that's so interesting, especially because you've been a vegan and living this healthy lifestyle for so long, arguably before it was popular, would you say? I was probably right on the front end of the curve, but there had been times in my life as a vegetarian and then raising kids here in Boulder, you know, we tried to do well in terms of our eating and lifestyle choices. So I would say it's been kind of seeping into my life for the last 20 years, but really seriously, 15 years ago, just quit all dairy product, animal products 15 years ago and never looked back. 
was there something that was the catalyst for that or a health scare or it was just a personal choice? It was kind of a combination. So the sort of multiple stages, in my opinion, you know, I, uh, my cholesterol was going up. I was under a fair amount of stress at the job I was in. And, you know, I made, made some lifestyle changes. Then my daughter gave me a book called the China study, which turned my head around a little bit to animal proteins. And then, then I started focusing more on, you know, the healthy diet, if you will, but, you know, it was good for my body, but then I realized it's also good for the planet. And there's a lot of cruelty in our farming system. So I just, once I sort of went through those phases, I just kind of resolved that this is just the way I live and eat now that, that I don't think much about it. Mm -hmm. And so then how did you find yourself with Naturally Boulder? Can you kind of walk me through there? Sure. Happy to. So 15, 16 years ago now, a group of us in the community got together. We knew we had a, a lot of like-minded people in Boulder. It's been sort of a hotbed for natural organic products for years. And we started meeting. We got seeded $5,000 from our then city manager to focus this you know, industry cluster. And we created a 501c6 nonprofit trade association. And the, the distinction between C6 and C3 is that we are allowed to have members so we have annual membership dues, so we have individual members, and we have sponsors. And we take on our sponsors, they support us for promotional benefits. So we try to help them expose what they do to the community, and we give them opportunities to do that. So we started having meetings, educational programming, events. The industry likes to get together and, and party. And we had been meeting for years at Natural Products Expos East and West, put on by New Hope here in town. And so we just created our own community here of those like-minded events. Uh, now, here we are 16 going on 17 years later, we're a part of a network of affiliated naturally other cities and naturally Chicago, Austin, San Francisco, LA, San Diego. And we're a part of this network now. So there are other cities with other food clusters as well that are we're, we're associated with. So. We continue our work trying to engage entrepreneurs, early stage companies, and find ways for productive collisions to occur. That's awesome. Do you think, uh, maybe outside of Boulder, I know Boulder's a great place to get into this type of arena, but do you feel ultimately the food and beverage category is a hard one for entrepreneurs? I think it's difficult to be successful in. I think you can create a, a company and you can innovate within that space. Uh, there's a lot of innovation going on still. It's kind of amazing, but it's a tough beverage in particular, a very tough category, depending on where you're at in the food aisles. You know, there are some still some open spaces there for innovation to occur, but yeah, it's tough. It requires a lot more money and a lot more uh, moxie than it ever did. Mm-hmm. Do you have a piece of advice for anybody that's just getting started in this industry that's maybe feeling a little bit of pushback or has maybe been rejected? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, multiple pieces of advice, actually. <laughs> well, you've got time. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I would say that you have to know your numbers. It sounds like a really businessy thing to say, but the reality is a lot of entrepreneurs are very passionate about their food or their product they created. And they don't know what it costs to, to make it. They have no idea what their ingredient prices are. They go into it from a passion forward perspective. And that's good. Probably if they knew too much, they wouldn't do it, right? They would say, oh, I've talked myself out of it. But I really love making this salsa or these burritos or whatever. And 
So once they kind of get through that phase of I've created something, people seem to really like it. They really have to understand if they have a business on their hands. And, th and that means understanding whether you not or whether or not you can make money in it. It's kind of weird to create a business that is really difficult and takes a lot of work and not know if you can actually make money doing it. It's a lot of work to come out on the other side and lose money. So number one, know your numbers. Number two, do some research, like understand what's happening out there with consumer preferences, behaviors, and retailer attitudes. And today brands launch and they sell direct to consumer. It, it's, it's a very crowded space online. So understand what it takes to grow a brand online. And it's difficult. It costs money just like it does to grow at retail. So understand the landscape, both what's driving consumers and what's driving retailers, both online and brick and mortar. And, you know, lastly, I would say, uh, you know, understand why you're doing what you're doing. So we work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are very passionate, like I said, and they have a lot of ideas and they get kind of focused on success and they forget why they started their business in the first place. So it's not just about growing a company and selling it for a lot of money someday. It, it, there's a reason why you did what you did. It might be the environment. It might be health. It might be because someone in your family was celiac, whatever it is. Don't forget why you came to where you came to with this idea and what's causing you to keep doing it after all this time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you feel like your experience as an entrepreneur yourself has helped you in your current role and has helped you mentor a lot of these folks that come through? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've probably worked with a couple, over a couple hundred entrepreneurs over the last 12 years and in a variety of capacities, it might just be a coffee meeting, you know, where I try to help them understand their numbers better. But yeah, I think, you know, seeing your own challenges from your own side of the business, like what do you know and don't you know about finance or marketing or sales and or innovation and where are your blind spots? You know, what, what, what assumptions have you made over time that color your thinking? Um, you, you have to be able to pivot and stay on top of things. It, it, it's a dynamic industry. It changes really rapidly and you can't just sit on your laurels. You, you know, you have to keep moving forward and you always have to have an eye on the future. Like where, where's the next funding piece coming from? Where's my next team member coming from? You have to keep your eyes on forward and on the horizon line while trying to manage a business. And it can get pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. As when you were a founder, and can you tell me a little bit about that company really quick? Uh, yeah, I've been a founder of a cleaning products company before, and I took over the reins of a 31-year-old business about two years ago, a goat dairy cheesemaker. And founderhood is really interesting. You know, you, you have to have some money in the bank to go ahead and get started. When we launched our cleaning products brand, we just, you know, we just had to create something from scratch. We had a, a product, but we didn't have a consumer facing product. And so we spent a lot of time on uh, what was our channel strategy? What, where were we going to sell this stuff? What did the bottles look like? What did the label look like? There, there was a long launch cycle. Um, I know people that spend two years thinking about launching their their idea then then a year sort of trying it out and then another year sort of trying to scale it and so there's this long process of ideation then creation then stabilization and then commercialization and it just goes on and on and so big lessons learned in those early stages i think today the the one takeaway i would advise a lot of early stage companies or people thinking about launching a brand is move a little quicker than you think you could just 
go faster because things are not waiting around for you. If you have a, a cool idea, you think it's very unique. I can guarantee you there's somebody else out there that's already thinking about doing it or already doing it. And so you need to move quickly. If you have a good idea and you know how to produce it, then you need to get on it, which means you need to get your money in the bank faster. You need to get your team in place faster. You need your channel strategy figured out faster. And those are lessons, you know, when you're in it, when you're in the heat of battle and a year goes by, you don't think much about it, right? It's like, oh, wow, it took us six months to get our name and our label and our, you know, our bottle shape worked out and all that stuff. You have to go quicker. You just really do. I mean, people are coming to coming into the space and into the industry ready to go, really ready to go and way more articulate than they ever were about how much money they need and what they're trying to accomplish in a much speedier time frame. Right. And so did you find it difficult because your background was originally in marketing with Kinko. So was it hard for you to kind of understand the VC space when you were that first time founder or did that kind of come naturally to you, those financials? Because for a lot of young entrepreneurs or those just starting out, I feel like that can be quite a learning curve. Was that your experience? No, because I worked for a billion dollar company. So <laughs> I had a lot of P&L experience already. Like, so I came came to it with, you know, like an understanding of what a profit and loss statement looks like and what it should look like and what you strive for when it comes to that. But there's a lot of resources out there now for young entrepreneurs. So there are ways to build a pro forma, a profit and loss a projection, if you will, of where you're headed. There's a lot of expertise in the industry. A lot of people who have done this already, they understand the food space. They know how to deal with projections of velocity and sales and retailer outlets and online projections. And so it comes down to like, you know, finding the right expertise at the right time. I think that you can speed those things up. Like I didn't have a steep learning curve when it came to the financial side of the business, but I had a very steep learning curve when it came to the industry itself and, and the channel itself. So very different, right, than technology or clothing or whatever else you might you know, be into or wherever you work today. When you get into the food space, there's some very specific things about how products move through the channel. What do brokers do? What do distributors do? What are retailers looking for? What are consumers after? And there's a different financial model that fits that. There's also a different financial model for different channel strategies. Right now, there's about 8,000 natural organic stores in the country. There's 45,000 commercial grocery stores in the country. So if you choose to sell at a big commercial grocery store, King Supers, Safeway around here, it's a different approach than selling to Whole Foods or selling to Sprouts or, or whoever. And it's just how you decide to go after the business as, as is important is like what you have created and how you're funding that. So yeah, there's 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 lots of advice out there about building that financial model. But most of the people I encounter, they're really passionate about what they've created. They're good at innovation. They like the kind of marketing side of it. It's very fun. Look at my logo, look at my label, look at my box. Have you tasted my new flavor yet? They're really, really good with that. They're not so good with finance, not so good with sales, not always a skill set they come to a brand with. So right. I do want to circle back briefly to the goat dairy because you mentioned that you are dairy free. So I'm curious how you got involved with the dairy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Um, so yeah, so boy, did I love goat cheese when when I dated? I love Absol goat cheese. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is a long time, 31 year old brand in Boulder County, and a friend of mine who's on the board 
said that the uh, the owners were looking to try to find a buyer and would I come and insert myself into that role and help them find a buyer for the company. And that was just a little before COVID hit. And so the following year was a little bit more of a rescue mission than find a buyer, although we did find a buyer during COVID, which was interesting. But yeah, so it's really funny. Goat curd is somewhat easier to digest than cow curd. So like if I eat any you know, regular cheese, cow cheese, uh, or drink a glass of milk, God forbid, or, or whatever I did, you know, did like somehow got cow milk, it would wreck my gut for a couple of days. But, but somehow I could taste goat cheese and it wouldn't bother me too much. And so I did taste our cheeses, of course. And it was really funny because our COO is allergic to just about everything on the planet. He didn't eat the cheese either, even though he liked it, right? He, he just couldn't eat it. So... It was really, really interesting. The two of us, you know, sort of out there kind of bringing the company forward through the pandemic. But yeah, didn't have any problem being around the cheese. Just didn't take a lot of it home with me. Right. I actually did not like goat cheese until I was an adult. I didn't like it as a kid. But and I have heard that before. It has like less lactate maybe than does that sound right? Than goat. Yeah, there's something about the the curd itself, the size of the curd and the amount of lactose in it. Uh, obviously, like cow milk can be very creamy. It, it has a lot of texture to it and goat milk, not so much. You know, it's harder to form into a shape and, and it's just different in the way you make it. But it's been around for a long time and, and a lot of people use it as an alternative to, to cow cheese. It can still bother you if you really have a problem with dairy. So, but yeah, no, it was a fun fun experience to uh to sort of jump into an older older brand and and try to revitalize it and then try to save it and then find a buyer yeah and you mentioned covid which i'm curious your thoughts kind of on the health industry as a whole do you feel like things have changed perhaps for the better with people being more aware of what they're eating and more aware of their health in times like this, especially from being from home and immunity? And have you noticed anything like that in your circle? Are people more aware? Yeah, I, I think I see it from the brand side. So products that were immune boosting or functional, you know, in nature did sell quite well over the last year and a half. I hate to say it's still going on, but it is. And then shelf-stable products like pantry loading was a kind of a common term that we heard a lot over the last year or so with brands. Some of them also pivoted to direct sales. So, you know, as people shifted their shopping habit, they didn't completely stop going to the grocery store. A lot of people did curbside pickup. Matter of fact, 74% of all groceries purchased in the last year were purchased from a retailer. They might have been, you know, delivered to home or they might have been picked up at curbside. They're not necessarily going in store, but not everybody shifted to Amazon, you know, sales. Uh, they, there were a, a fair amount of brands that pivoted, that sold a lot of products online, direct to consumer. And a lot of those were health focused or pantry shelf stable type products. But generally speaking, I think people in the natural products industry already were onto something. They knew that if they ate certain kinds of foods, they were immune boosting foods anyway. And so they just amplified their emphasis on health. I can't speak for the general public. I know in the natural products industry, a lot of people were already there. They were thinking, you know, mushrooms are good for me. I'm going to eat them. Um, there are certain products out there that are immune boosting. I'm going to eat them. I'm going to do things that are good for my brain, my heart, and my gut. And, and I'm going to keep doing those things. And now 
that I'm stuck at home, I'm going to cook more real food, you know, instead of 50% of all meals are usually eaten out of the home. So most of us were all of a sudden eating 75% or more of our meals at home and maybe even ordering out and eating them at home. So we weren't going to restaurants. We weren't doing that stuff. People were definitely experimenting more, cooking more, doing interesting things with food that they weren't doing prior to the pandemic. I think there's a lot of pent up demand to go back out and eat at restaurants. I'm seeing it. So who knows, you know, where we'll, where we'll land, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of companies did really well during the pandemic because they had products already that were, were good for you and, and really helped people feel healthy. Do you have a quick tip for anybody who is looking to start small and maybe try to live a little bit healthier or a little bit more low impact? I am not speaking for myself, though I could also use some advice, but um, <laughs> asking for a friend, no. Do you have any a tip for anybody who's looking to get started, anything they could do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably the best thing you can do is just stop you know, snacking on processed foods. I mean, they're hard on you. They're, they're causing this, this problem in our country with weight gain. And, and, and then, you know, maybe choose one day a week where you go meat free, uh, try a, you know, vegan diet once a week, twice a week, just take the animal product out of your diet. It, it, it does cause a rather amount of high amount of inflammation in your system. But I, I think if you can increase your activity level and decrease your amount of intake of, of needless carbohydrates, you're probably going to start to feel better pretty quick. And then you can slowly add things in that that will do things like boost immune support. Or there's a fair amount of innovation in the brain health space right now, trying to help people be more mentally acute. You know, increase mental acuity. There's there's mushroom products out there that are great for that. There's a fair amount of heart health products on the market and a ton of gut health products. If you're having issues with your gut, go to your local natural grocers and and talk to the vitamin people there in the aisle. They'll They'll help you with foods and supplements that can help with your gut problems. So there are solutions to those things. They're small steps. You know, just say one day a week, I'm not going to eat any meat or any animal product or try it, decreasing your snacking behaviors. Uh, just those are those are really good things. And I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of advice out there, a lot of diet plans out there. I have watched the keto diet, you know, help a lot of people. I've watched the paleo diet help a lot of people because it breaks these habits you're in, right? So there are definitely some options out there to change your eating habits. And it's it's really mind over stomach when you get to it. Right. Yeah. Love it. Well, I do want to circle back to Naturally Boulder and ask you kind of where you see things in the next five to 10 years. Do you see yourself staying as executive director? Are you there for the long haul? And where do you see things evolving in the future? Or what would your goals be? Yeah, I don't, I haven't made any prediction about how long I will be here. So I'm kind of just keeping that open right now. But you know, we're sitting at about 1,100 individual members right now. We have about 100 sponsoring companies. I see our programming evolving a little bit. Our, our education, you know, has been really focused on helping early stage entrepreneurs, and we still do that. But we're experiencing, you know, some shifts, some dynamic shifts in the industry. For instance, Jedi, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion issues, and BIPOC issues are more prevalent in the industry than they ever were. We're realizing the inequities of Black-owned businesses and all kinds of people of color who are involved in the food space that don't get any recognition or aren't a part of things. So we're trying to morph our educational approaches more to take those 
topics into account and bring more people of color into, into Naturally Boulder. We're also focused on climate change and climate justice. And climate change is, uh, well, we're sitting in it, you and I in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. And, and it's only going to get worse, I think. And so we're, we're really focused on climate change, but also climate justice. So who is really being affected? I mean, we're dealing with bad air quality here, but think about people who are losing their place where they live because the oceans are rising. And all of the climate injustice that goes on usually happens with people who live south of us uh, along the equator line. And it, it's just it's just happening and we have to be more mindful of that. And I think as a whole, the industry is embracing now. There's a, an organization called the Jedi Collaborative within the natural organic industry that is focused on Jedi issues. We are focused on it here too. We're definitely want to bring more expertise to bear on climate justice and climate change. And what can brands do that are currently out there selling and producing products? What can they do about their packaging, their use of resources, their supply chain management, all those things. So yeah, we I see us really refocusing some of our educational programming around that over the next couple of years. And you know, as a trade association, and I don't know what the next 15 years brings, but, you know, we're a relatively small community. We're 22 square miles surrounded by reality here in Boulder. There's only so many people we can attract as members, but we're connected with this national network. So who knows how many affiliate there will affiliate networks there will be in the next five years in the country. There's seven now. There could be 20 within a few years. We'll be a part of a bigger thing. We'll be sharing data, educational programming, you know, member content, all kinds of things across a network. And so when you tap into the Boulder, naturally Boulder situation or scene, you, you're naturally going to be tapping into then the whole country, other cities, other towns where there are food industry groups, and you can learn from those as well. So just broadening the network, if you will. That's awesome. What would you say is your favorite part of the role? Hmm. Boy, you know, I was really, really actively involved in the community of Naturally Boulder for 13 years as a volunteer, then a board member, and then a board chair. And then when I left, it was kind of like, oh, well, okay, so now I, I'm just here and I can participate in events. But now that I'm back in the role, it's like I get to interact with all of these people that I used to see on a pretty regular basis as a board member. So it's really great to be back seeing faces. We're going to do live events this fall. We did one so far this summer. Can't wait to be around the community again. And I, I would sum that up as community. I just feel like we have a great community here. There are other great communities across the country. People that are involved in natural organic products are some of my favorite people. I get to hang around them every day. I have a great staff of two people. Christy and Julie are awesome. I inherited them, but I love them. And we do great work together. I have a great board. Boy, you know, it's just fun. And I love Boulder as a community. It's changing. It's definitely different than when I first got here, but you know, it's still a great place to live. Apparently, some people think it's the best place to live in the country. I know. I see it pop up on those little <laughs> articles, listicles. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, always, yeah. it's near. It's always up there, especially when you talk about Colorado. I feel like it always beats out Denver. Yeah, well, yeah. Den I, Denver's I not it. so bad. Denver's <laughs> pretty cool. Like, I, I think Denver has a lot going on as well. And there's a food industry group in Denver that we do partner with. And there are food industry clusters all over Colorado. Colorado is very attractive for food entrepreneurs. There's a lot of great work um, being done up at CSU. So, you know, being back in this role, I'm starting to connect with people from the state. I'm back connected with the people from CSU. We're doing work with some people in Pueblo, Western Slope. So 
we've got fingers out all across the state. It's a great place to start and grow a business, a small, you know, food business. Love it. Well, before I let you go, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about you or about your journey with Naturally Boulder, your healthy lifestyle, anything I've missed? Hmm. No, but I, I, I would say just this, you know, it's not just about the food you eat or just about the things you drink. It's a lot about where you are in your heart and who you're with on your journey. So find your people, find your place, and then live your best life. Oh, I love that. Wow. What a, what a great way to close. I have nothing else to say. We'll just <laughs> cut it right there. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bill. It was a pleasure. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take good care. Be sure to check back weekly for new episodes and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com.